Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction Predictions. This is Fiction Predictions from Mashable, a new podcast about the books, TV shows, and films of the past that predicted the world we live in today. I'm Sam. And I'm Nick. I- I'm going to do a massive name drop right now. Maybe you want to throw in some kind of jingle. Name, name, name drop. drop. We've got a very special guest for you. Well, thank you for having me. My name is Stephen Merchant. I'm a writer and director. What do you think of the name? We, we thought about it long and hard. We think it's a brilliant F- Fiction name. prediction? Yeah. Uh, I think it's good. Yeah, but I'm glad you clarified what it meant. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have known just from the title, huh. but now I do. We sat down with Stephen Merchant, co-creator of the groundbreaking sitcoms The Office and Extras, to talk about his new film called Fighting with My Family. You're from that weird family, aren't you? We're not weird. Which follows the true life story of uh, a young woman called Paige, who comes from a real life Norwich wrestling family. The family dream was to get their kids into WWE, which is the big leagues for wrestlers. But only Paige got signed and went off to Florida at the age of 18, 4,000 miles from home, to try and live this family dream for herself and for the people that she left behind. The Rock! We're huge fans. Thank you so much. But we also challenged Stephen to see if he can come up with a fiction prediction of his own. Let me think. I'm immediately thinking about sort of uh, things like movies like 2001, A Space Odyssey, mm. you know, which has a very... I'm sorry, Dave. Sentient... I'm afraid I can't do that. ...computer essentially AI. What are you talking about, Hal? I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. That is kind of interacting and, you know, both with the uh, pilots of the spacecraft and is kind of in control of the spacecraft. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. And then, of course, famously, spoiler alert, um, begins to take over the spacecraft and begins to bump off the pilots, the the astronauts. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. Help. 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 Um, which is one of those very real concerns people have now about the power of AI, right? That, that you know, what limitations do you put on this, on AI? We're, we're only, you know, years away from computers being able to seemingly think, and they, they will have processing power way beyond any human, and they can presumably figure out every possible eventuality and you know it's it's a very real concern right about you know what what limits do we put on on computers and their capabilities 
So just a quick word first on how this episode is going to be structured. It's a little different um, to episodes before because it's essentially two fiction predictions rather than just one. They're both going to revolve around Stephen Merchant's work and how his comedy analyzes and foreshadows aspects of society. To start with, Nick's going to be employing his impressively uh, philosophical kind of analytical approach to The Office. And then after, we're going to bring back the interview with Stephen Merchant uh, towards the end of the episode, and I'm going to talk about extras. Here we go. So, Sam, I know you're a considerable fan of the original Office starring Ricky Gervais, and I'm also quite disappointed because I know that you haven't yet watched the US reboot. I'm disappointed in myself. It's, it's on my long, I've got a really long list of, of things to watch, but I love I love the original so much and uh, I've, heard, I've heard the US version is quite different, but it's also brilliant. Either way, just seeing the UK one, has it ever struck you how utterly meaningless, pointless and absolutely useless all the actual jobs... Uh, I'm a sales rep, which means that my, my job, job is to... to speak to clients um, are in that show uh, quantity and type of paper whether we yes supply it to them whether they can uh, pay for it I'm, uh, I'm boring myself just talking about this anyway when Stephen was talking about AI and you know 2001 A Space Odyssey I keep going to very dark places in the podcast <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry about that <laughs> no, uh, no, I should have just said oh, I hope there's the... hoverboards like in Back <laughs> to the Future 2 something potentially profound struck me about the universal appeal that the office has had on the world we live in today in the past 10 years I have had to prophesy evil and it's an appeal that goes back nearly 100 years to a very influential if quite mercurial British economist Change has been forced on us under circumstances extraordinarily fortunate and favorite. John Maynard Keynes. I'm afraid to say I don't know him, um, but I do love the fact you described it as potentially profound. I'm very excited. We have nothing to fear. Well, listen to this. <laughs> Honestly, nothing. So Keynes was a huge public figure. He's the founding father of Keynesian economics, which basically argues that the free market cannot be left unregulated and that the governments should interfere and invest to help reduce unemployment levels at times of economic difficulty. His ideas were criticized over the years, but they resurfaced recently and became really popular when Barack Obama introduced stimulus packages to help create jobs. It is a wonderful thing for our businessmen and our manufacturers and our unemployed and to taste hope again. I know we talk about automating jobs a lot today, but the trend really began in those early days where machines were introduced on the factory floors. In 1928, Keynes predicted that the start of the 21st century, the technological efficiency in Europe and in the US would be so great that people would no longer actually need to work and would start suffering from boredom and too much free time. I'm, I'm boring myself. He basically thought that the machines would just do all our work and we will have enough money and food and we wouldn't have to actually do any physical work or labor. Hmm. That hasn't quite panned out, has it? No, that's why The Office is quite important, because something quite to the opposite really came true. To avoid this absolute boredom of having nothing to do, Keynes, again in 1928, anticipated that humans would sort of um, get accustomed to a three-hour-a-day, just-to-feel-useful kind of job. I, can't, I, don't, I don't think anyone works a three-hour workday. No. And what's worse is there's a lot of conversation that's starting to come out that, that shows that our generation is suffering from things like burnout. And there's a lot of existential questions that we tend to ask ourselves about our value and our purpose and how our work is supposed to fulfill ourselves. 
as individuals that are here to to you know to carry out some sort of meaningful purpose on on this earth. So what you're saying is Keynes he didn't make a good prediction. No. Okay. He failed miserably. Oh. Sorry, John. I mean, it's, it's, it sounds like a sound theory at the time. Yeah. It's, it's summed up pretty well in that, that sort of long read article um, that uh, BuzzFeed, I believe, published about uh, millennial burnout. Um, yeah, it's almost about a whole generation has been kind of obsessed with or focused on um, the type of self-betterment that they think is acceptable uh, in society and sort of social media and everything like that, uh, that they're kind of almost paralyzed into really like having a something I identified with a little bit actually yeah. really not wanting to do something we would view as like a trivial life admin job like you know filling out a form or something so more or less the opposite of what Keynes predicted actually has come true okay so you're saying that Keynes made this prediction um he was completely wrong but the office is actually a more accurate it's sort of it's kind of accidentally predicted the way uh, working lives in in 2019 are yes to what extent do you believe that you have the skills and knowledge to perform your job effectively and then you just tick one of the boxes not at all to some extent very much so don't know what would you tick don't know so here we go okay this goes back a little bit Okay, go on. In a 2013 essay that went pretty viral, this American anthropologist called David Graeber diagnosed this phenomenon as, quote, bullshit jobs that nobody wants to talk about. Here's another direct quote. Bullshit jobs are a form of paid employment that is so completely pointless, unnecessary, or pernicious that even the employee cannot justify its existence, even though, as part of the conditions of employment, the employee feels obliged to pretend that this is not the case. So here's where Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais' work comes in. I'm boring myself. With The Office, it seems like they tapped into a phenomenon I'm boring myself. that became so popular because he was still hiding in plain sight. I'm boring myself. In a way, The Office predicted the utter meaninglessness that has engulfed work life in the recent I'm decades. YouGov, a data analytics firm here in the UK, polled British people in 2015 asking whether they thought that their jobs made a meaningful contribution to the world. 37% said no. 13% were unsure. 37% said no. That's sad, isn't it? But it's not just in the UK. So in the Netherlands, 40% of respondents believe that their jobs had no reason to exist. Wow. So you're, you're, if I'm getting this right, you're saying the office predicted this kind of trend of us talking about uh, meaningless work and like burnout at work and people not having any a sort of sense of value from what they do. I think the, the office in, in more than one ways predicted this notion of bullshit jobs that this anthropologist went out and, and then empirically showed to be true. I think the office is a great example that shows that the contemporary society that we live in today is one that has sort of forgotten what it's for. Mm. Like, we don't really have a pur purpose. You know, you have the baby boomers, you have, you know, the people during the, the, the world wars where everybody was sort of like eager and they, they, they thought they had a part to play in the larger scheme of things. And you had like the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of the Cold War. You know, you had the, the rise of the Internet, the early years of positivity of the Internet. And now... Um, especially in the last sort of 20 years-ish, you, you're just seeing the fallout of different sort of 
processes. You're seeing the fallout of, you know, globalization. We had the financial crisis. It's people are getting laid off left and right. You know, people are worried about automation and sort of more and more people that are going into the workforce sort of don't really know like what they're supposed to do and they don't really see the purpose of their of their contribution. That was an impressive speech. I can tell, you know, I can tell when I listen to you sometimes that you're a doctor. Yeah, and actually, this this actually leads in well to my final point, which so obviously I just completed my doctorate in anthropology, and this guy who came up with the concept of bullshit jobs, he's an anthropologist too. Funny enough, Stephen was also talking about how he and Ricky came up with the idea for the office, and my sort of academic brain immediately lit up because. Neither of them sort of launched their career in entertainment. And they were both saying how this idea for the character of David Brent was a conglomeration of all these people that they had to work with in the past. And now we know, thanks to, you know, David Graeber's idea of bullshit jobs, that that's exactly what they were experiencing. And it's funny that they sort of categorized it and used it for comedic value because it was something that, I guess, wasn't so centralized as it is now, like... It wasn't that obvious, right? It was just, I, I imagine, like, yeah, it was perhaps something that people were aware of to some level, but maybe it's being spoken about more now. Curiously, it has a very anthropological sort of epicenter as well. Um, so Stephen and, and Ricky were working in radio beforehand, and then S- Stephen moved to the BBC. Um, and there he was asked to do a task, and he wanted to do sort of a, a TV scenario Um, of the task and so he asked Ricky to come in they were sort of recreating um, a more or less like an office environment and that's where they came up with the character of David Brent. A lot of the kind of questions that you have when you've got a fictional character which are making that stuff up let's take for instance David Brent in the office you know a lot of time was spent you know deciding where he's from and what did he do and what's his life you know even stuff that didn't make it into the finished script but you want to have answers to those questions just so you understand the character Mm. um and it was something that they kept seeing sort of the pointlessness of of these sort of pencil pushing you know bureaucratic jobs with meaningless titles that everybody sort of was regurgitating and it didn't matter who the individual doing the job was anybody could do them and that's where the inspiration for the office came I don't give shitty jobs. If a good man comes to me and says, thank you, David, for the opportunity and continued support in the work-related arena, but I've done that, I want to better myself, I want to move on, then I can make that dream come true too, a.k.a. for you. The point is, you talk the talk, you do not walk the walk vis-a-vis, you have not yet passed your forklift driver's test. I guess, like... You know, and this will probably crop up in other episodes, but I guess one aspect of good comedy is almost being able to like, identify pulses in society that, um, you know, and kind of reflect. It's like holding up a mirror, isn't it, back at society and people can laugh because they see themselves or people they know in in in, uh, in the show. Um, and I guess um, I feel like this is something Stephen Merchant and Ricky Gervais have been able to to tap into quite impressively in a lot of their work. So obviously we've spoken a lot about The Office there, and I think now um, we can transition maybe into part two of the uh, of the episode. So that was your prediction. We're gonna we'll come back to it at the end because I think I think it's a good prediction, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how you think my prediction, which is to do with extras, uh, how it measures up. The thing that I've always been fascinated about, sort of switching over to extras now. And one thing that I was really keen to ask Stephen about when we spoke to him is his track record of kind of casting celebrities as themselves. 
Yeah, so here's Stephen talking about it in like a short 2005 behind-the-scenes documentary about extras. And the idea of using the stars was never like to try and be kind of really um, sort of in-jokey and let's pat ourselves on the back for having some showbiz mates. It was just to try and add as much realism to the, to the world as possible. And because you already had a perception of who they were, then you could play with the image they already had and it was like a shortcut to comedy. You could get straight in and, and they were sort of... And the reason I thought of this is when I watched Fighting With My Family... Um, Good film. Yeah, it is really good actually. I definitely recommend I definitely recommend watching it. It's it's got a very kind of poignant mix of comedy and drama. Um so when I watched it I was like, "Oh, it's interesting that, you know, Stephen this is Stephen Merchant's film, uh The Rock's in it playing himself." Well, he was involved in Page's real life story and so the scenes that we dramatise involving him are based on stories that Paige and he told me about what happened for real. And so, again, you're using the true incidents as your jumping off point. And then Dwayne, DJ, you know, he he called me up and he was like, well, I, you know, I felt like we should do this and this. And he had notes and thoughts about it, you know, because he was there. And so it becomes um, a sort of collaboration in that way. Uh, And... You know, Dwayne is Dwayne, but he's also at times playing The Rock, you know, which is more of his wrestling persona. That is him, you know, at his own magnificence. So I just, in a sense, I mean, I didn't quite, but I may as well have just written Dwayne does The Rock here in brackets. (laughs) And then he just goes off and does his own thing, you know, because you can't write that stuff. And obviously extras, that was basically one of the running themes. Every episode had a different celebrity, uh, you know, often very well-known people, and they played... They played a kind of certain twisted version of themselves. You know, I began this project and the idea of sort of celebrities and famous people and being in it and all the rest of it was not something that came into my head. It, initially, I was just interested in this real family with this real... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Story. Um, 
I didn't know who these people were. I didn't follow wrestling. I didn't know anything about wrestling. I was attracted to the story because I just found the emotional content of it so appealing and engaging. This brother and sister relationship, this family relationship, this young woman who's got to leave home, travel away. So I just kept thinking about it as a group of people who... um, you know, just just real people, and so it was only later that, of course, you I sort of began to realize. Well, yes, but then she entered into the world of WWE, which is full of famous wrestlers, one of whom is The Rock. And so, in a weird way, The Rock was still just a character in right. this story. You know, I wasn't thinking of him as a famous person. I was just yeah. thinking of him as this per, as a real person in this narrative. Um, unlike, say, extras, where we were more playing and car- and sort of caricaturing those actors and allowing them to sort of play twisted versions of themselves and there was a there was more playfulness and there was more satire yeah. intended there whereas here Dwayne was just Dwayne who was part of this real life story um, and so it's a sort of strange coincidence that I keep on having real people playing themselves <laughs> in projects I've done but but I don't it's not like a it's not like that's the only thing I'll do in yeah. my work it just keeps happening right. in that way bizarrely how does this make a good fiction prediction? My thinking is, in a nutshell, um, is that in extras, and particularly the way you have famous people playing exaggerated versions of themselves, I think that in some way predicted the way people behave on social media today. If you look back at the kind of in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, Hollywood stars were very inaccessible. You knew you saw them in movies. I'd rather wait in there. And you saw them in. I hate crowds. In magazines, and that was it. Don't you? There very rarely were there. I mean, there wasn't really any TV talk shows until the sort of 50s and 60s. And so, you know, someone like... Ladies and gentlemen, I I would like to present you to... uh... Errol Flynn or one of those kind of movie stars from the 50s. They were very remote. Gary Cooper, you saw... And so you'd occasionally get these pictorials and it would be them in their Hollywood mansion and it would be them diving in the pool and them having a cocktail. But it was all very staged and very, very manufactured in their true lives and their um, their decadent behavior or their sexuality, all that stuff was kept from the public, right? You know, and then what happened is over time, you know, celebrities became more and more accessible. And, you know, in the 80s, they were sort of being hounded by the paparazzi. And, you know, you had Tom Cruise coming out of every, you know, every building he left. There was camera crews outside of it. I think everyone has my number. And that's the problem. And it feels in a way now we've almost come full circle where the audience demands access to their favourite stars. And so they have to be sort of on social media or seem to be connecting and 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 being honest and being themselves and sort of and, and breaking down the walls between them and us. But actually they're curating their version of themselves just like those old 50s stars did. They're not really presenting themselves. Who wants to do that? Who wants to just let you see every nook and cranny, every war of, of someone, right? So so now on social media, it's, in a way, it feels like it's those old 1950s magazine cover spreads where, um, you know, it's Errol Flynn in his Hollywood mansion. And it's sort of now, it's kind of celebrities in their Hollywood mansion. And then it's, it's non-celebrities trying to look like they also live the life of celebrities, <laughs> right? So we sort of, you know, I was reading a story the other day about someone in Russia, you can pay... Um, to have an hour sitting in a private jet with your friends. So you can just take photos of you drinking champagne in a private jet. Now, presumably, the people that you're posting that to, your 14 followers, know you don't have the money to fly around in a private jet. So I don't know who you're fooling. It reminds me of when I was at school. This kid came into school. 
I did not go to a fancy school and I did not have fancy wealthy friends. This kid came to school and he had a what appeared to be a Rolex. He's like, yeah, got a Rolex, no big deal. And we're like, wow. <laughs> and then it very quickly became clear it was a knockoff fake Rolex because he couldn't afford a Rolex. <laughs> Just like, well, you've got a fake Rolex and we all know it's a fake Rolex. Yeah. So again, who are you fooling? And so, um, yeah, and so it's a sort of strange, it feels like a slightly strange time where, you know, Celebrities and non-celebrities are presenting this idealized version of themselves on social media, right? Um, and uh, you know, I don't quite know where that will lead us. But well, what's your idealized version? Like, what part do you create when you go on Twitter? Or well, on it's Instagram? slightly different for me because I uh, because I come ideal in real life. So well, no, I was going to say because I'm from the comedy world, I guess you use it in a slightly different way. Is I actually like showing my own um, hopelessness in so many different ways, in, in ways that can be funny. And and you know, like I did a post recently about how hard it is for me to write in hotel rooms because I can never get a desk that's high enough. Like your desk here is too low for me, and so. I have to construct kind of writing desks when I'm working from a hotel room with sort of ironing boards or drawers and, you know, cushions and I have to build these things. And that's true. Um, so it's a sort of it's a sort of playful uh, little insight into my life. But of course, again, it's still a, it's just a segmented version of part of my life. It's not it's not like I'm on there, you know, and I'm giving you every every moment of my day and every thought I'm having, you know. Um, so I think you still sort of curate it, you're still policing it, even if you're being funny, even if you're... I don't know. So I, And maybe... The, I, I'm interested to know, maybe you feel like that's a mischaracterization. Maybe you feel like people are much more honest and... Uh, truthful about in their social media. Maybe they are. I don't know. Do you, do you feel I'm that's not. true? No. Do you feel like you're presenting a kind of yeah, version I mean, of yourself in a way? Yeah, to my 14 followers. Yeah, sure. Right. But uh, I think I think everybody has to, right? But otherwise, you're just living your life like an open wound. I mean, it's you know, everyone's got their demons and their issues, and no one wants to present. No one wants everyone to know their true self, do they? No. No. Wow, this got pretty existential. I just wanted to quickly come back to, to one thing and like talking about celebrities and, and that idea of curation. Like now that we've got, now that everyone's got a phone and they're asking you for selfies all the time, someone might be videoing any interaction you have on the streets. Do you think, rather than even just say for paparazzi and uh, on social media, is there a pressure now to be, do you think, for celebrities to be constantly wearing a mask wherever they go almost? I think so, to some degree. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to do a massive name drop right now. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you want to throw in some kind of jingle. N -n -n name drop. Because um, <laughs> this is pretty This is pretty heavy-handed name drop. But I was talking to Tom Cruise once. <clears throat> nice. And, um, <laughs> and I was asking him about how his experience of being a celebrity had changed over the years. And he pointed to a moment. He said he, he, he used to have... There were kind of paparazzi that would wait outside hotel rooms and uh, hotel, you know, hotels and stuff for him and, and um, studios. And he would come out, and there was a sort of certain acknowledgement that you know you'd leave the building and they would take pictures, and then you know off you'd go with your day. And then he says he remembers coming out once, and 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 a woman came up to him with a phone and took a picture of him with her phone, and he said, "What what's that?" And she went, oh, "I've got a camera on my phone." And it was the first time he'd seen it. And he remember, He said he remembered thinking, wow, 
everything's going to change. You know, yeah. he could sense it even at that moment, you know. Um, and so I guess that was probably a huge turning point where you were sort of, for someone like him, you're suddenly much more mindful of the fact that the traditional days of the paparazzi with cameras and the sort of gentleman's agreement, you know, I'll take some pictures of you coming out of the hotel, getting in your car, then I leave you alone, mm. had kind of suddenly changed. And now, obviously, everyone has a camera and everyone's a paparazzi to some degree. And anyone who's in the public eye is conscious that they never quite know when they're being filmed. You know, I've got friends, you know, who've been filmed or photographed when they're asleep on a plane or you know you often sense it on if I'm on the tube and you'll and someone will kind of their camera will rise up <laughs> and they'll have forgotten to take the little click noise off and it's pretty obvious what you're up to yeah um you know and so of course you have to be very aware of that you can't be yourself because you want to be able to control what, what, what people know of you how do you react in those situations like, are you tempted to go over and say sorry do you mind actually not taking a picture or do well, you of course, just, just swoop in and grab the phone from above no but it's very it's very intrusive isn't it I mean, yeah it's a very, no you know, it is yeah it's a very you know they, yes you've made an exchange in some ways that you, you you get the privileges of being you know in the public eye and, and make movies and do all these amazing things and that's great and you understand there's a certain exchange that happens but nevertheless you know you're going about your day uh, it's a little bit creepy if someone takes yeah. a picture the other thing you notice is that if you're walking down the street and someone knows who you are and they are with a friend and they walk past you, they will often wait till they've walked past you to say, oh, you know who that was. <clears throat> but they never walk far enough. You can always hear them saying it. And it's a warning to everyone. You have to walk further than you think if you're going to talk about someone behind their back, all right? And that's good advice for office life and your friends. Yes. It doesn't matter if they're a famous person or not. Just walk further than you think before you start gossiping about someone, right. all right? little word to the wise. Thanks very much. Yeah, okay. So we've got decision time here. We, um, we've got two predictions, really, in this episode obviously themed around Stephen Merchant. Um, yours about The Office predicting this uh, rising uh, awareness of bullshit job culture, and mine about extras predicting um, this specific way people act on social media. So, oh, this is tricky, isn't it? What do we think What do we think is the better prediction? I mean, just think about it. The Office became <laughs> like an international hit. It was translated and adapted in however many countries. And the universal message of people unfortunately having to do completely meaningless jobs is something that not only goes against all the logic of the technological sort of innovations that we've made since the Industrial Revolution, but it also goes against the logic of all the cool things that are going on today. Hang on a second. So are you saying that because The Office was more popular, that means your prediction is better? It's just, it, I think it's just such a universal prediction about the state of humanity that affects, I think, a majority of people who end up working. I, I don't think I've ever met someone that has started a job after university or, you know, whenever, and they've come and said, do you know what? I think I'm completely fulfilled by this job. Do you like your job, Nick? Do you feel fulfilled doing this podcast with me? Yes. Okay. 
But you you know what I mean. No, they're, I, I completely they're, know they're, what they're, you mean. I think I think we're, we're quite privileged as journalists because we get to do creative things, and sometimes we get to do things that have a wider sort of societal impact. And maybe some people can read some of our stuff, and sometimes we can amplify voices that you know don't have a platform of their own. Yeah, I guess there's almost two things, isn't there? That, that, so there's your own personal sense of self worth, and then there's also this kind of the other thing the office was tapping into is this kind of like layers of bureaucracy. And yeah, I think to be honest, that's a. I think it's a good. I think it's a good prediction. I think. Um, I think the office. Um, I'm sure. Certainly, in my kind of yeah, like fairly narrow knowledge of comedy, like it feels like the office has done it in in a way that's been yeah, like you said, the most globally um, sort of well received. Uh, so I think it's a good prediction. Um, I think um, my extras prediction, if I'm going to be totally honest, brutally honest. I would say, I would say yours is probably a little bit better, um, only because I think there is something, definitely something in this idea of self curation, and I think that was definitely a topic explored in extras, um, or, or not, or self, not so much self curation, but kind of obviously extras is it's all about self parody and kind of you know caricaturing yourself, and I, I think that does foreshadow an aspect of social media, but I think it's probably getting into the nitty gritty a little bit. I was really hoping that you would say that, but I actually genuinely think that you're on to something with your fiction prediction, and it's actually quite interesting because I was literally listening to an episode uh, of another podcast called Invisibility, and the episode is called Post Shoot. And, and they were sort of talking about this, and the central theme of, of the of the episode was the doppelganger almost relationship that we have with our online selves, where they are curated versions of ourselves, but not entirely who we are in real life. Okay. So the the episode is about violence in in this uh, town in Delaware, and it basically revolves around the murder of a kid who was basically trash talking another kid on Instagram, and it led to his murder. Right. Okay. So that's, I guess that's a kind of different, uh, different facet of this idea of, of, of the way we behave online and, and the part of ourselves, which is to show, I guess, because obviously, yeah, we we're talking about the comedy, but I suppose there's also the, um, the darker side of. It just shows that people are prone to taking what they see online as the full story. Right. Yeah, but a long story short, you know, it, I think that the, this idea of of the separation between the real self and 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 the the portions of of that self that appear online, that sort of dichotomy, as you said before, is is something that definitely didn't exist in the early two thousands. Yeah, and that sense of the caricaturization of you know the most. I, I, I don't know, the most extreme parts of the personality that we see with, you know, Ben Stiller, for example, in extras. Yeah, it's basically playing on society's most extreme ideas of someone, uh, the, the most extreme parts of their public persona, if you like. It, it, the sense of, like, you could be someone else on social media. Like, you can present yourself as... You know anyone you want to be you can pretend like you're rich you can pretend like you're powerful you can pretend like you're well liked most people are not really going to question it are, are they they're they're going to take it for for the face value assuming that that's that's first of all true and that's all that you are mm. right yeah no well completely yeah and i guess catfishing like that phenomenon is yeah is is evidence of that um okay well 
Yeah, two fiction predictions for the price of one there this week. Um, thanks for tuning in. As always, please leave us a comment or a rating on whichever podcast platform you're using to listen to us. Um, next week, uh, Sam will be presenting a pretty special fiction prediction. Uh, we're not going to say a lot. It's, it's related to the Titanic, and I think it's, it's potentially one of the most um, prescient examples I think I've seen of... Uh, of fiction predicting the future so yeah please please do tune in fiction Right, guys, and just a heads up, uh, if you are interested to watch the full interview we did with Steven, it's um, uploaded on Mashable's YouTube account and on Mashable.com. Just just uh, search for, you know, Steven Merchant Fiction Predictions and, and you should be able to find it. I recommend you actually do spend some time. It's it's about 15 minutes long and it's, it's definitely worth it because Steven is obviously very, very funny. Um, and it, I'm pretty gutted that I had to cut some of the, of the things from the actual podcast. So this is your chance to actually see and hear the full um, unedited conversation that we had him and and once again I just wanted to thank him it means a lot that he came on the show and um, I hope I hope you all liked the episode thanks bye Fiction Predictions is a mashable podcast created by Sam Hasem and Nikolai Nikolov the theme song was composed by Kasberg the artwork was designed by Bob Algreen and this episode was edited by Nick Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.